You can take your seats, it's so good. Just want to welcome anyone that is here for the first time to Icon Church. My name is Paul, together with my wife Jeannie, we're lead pastor at Icon Church. Also, I want to welcome people who are watching online this morning. So why don't we do that, church? Welcome all those people. Great. And just, you know, from our point of view, uh, pastors of the church, just a massive thank you to everyone involved in the big Christmas show, in the planning, in the direction, in the everything involved in it. I came to two of the three shows and it was just stunning. And uh, I just want to give a big shout out to Santa. I mean, how he held all that together was incredible, particularly my grandson, how he, uh, how he coped with him. Fantastic. It's so, it's so good. It's so good. I want to bring a message this morning called Don't Look Back. Don't Look Back. I want to read a few verses uh, of Jesus talking from Luke 17, 30 to 33. And uh, Jesus is talking about when he will return. And he says this, it will be just like this, this is in the middle of a discourse, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I just pray in this moment that you will speak to each and every one of us. I know that you love us all and I know that you've got things for us today. I pray that our hearts will receive them in Jesus' name. And everyone said, of all the women in the Bible, women who were great, women who performed exploits, women like Esther, like Ruth, like Naomi, woman after woman after woman after woman. Woman, or women, as Zion said on that video, women who did amazing things. Not one time does Jesus ask us to remember them. But in our text today, of all the women in the Bible, he could ask us to remember He could ask us to pay attention to, of all those women who did miracles, who drove nails into the heads of kings, yes, there were women who did that in the Bible, women who received their children back from the dead, of all the women in the Bible who got healed, who got redeemed, who got delivered, had miraculous debt cancellation, of all the women, he asks us to remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. He asks us to remember a woman whom we don't even know her name. We have no idea what she was called. He asks us to remember a woman who was warned by God to flee a city burning with fire, but a woman who looks back and as a result, as a result does not escape the danger but becomes a pillar of salt. Here's some of the text from that story in Genesis, Genesis 19. It says, Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. Thus he overthrew these cities and the entire plain, destroying all those who lived in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. 
Lot and his wife had ended up in Sodom because some years earlier, Abraham, his uncle, had decided to take Lot with him on his journey as he was stepping out in faith to see God fulfill his promises. And God blessed Abraham and his flocks and his herds began to grow and he wanted to bless his nephew, Lot. And so he gave Lot some of the flocks and some of the herds and um, and they, he began to get blessed too. But then the herdsmen, he also gave him some herdsmen. Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen began to fight and quarrel over land. And so they separated. And Lot and his wife and his family and his cattle ended up in this place called Sodom. And Sodom, along with the neighboring town of Gomorrah, and the whole plain is a wicked place. In fact, the wickedness is so great, so destructive, so oppressive, so crushing. The exploitation of people is so rampant that God decides enough is enough. Now let's remember that about God. That God does have moments where he says enough is enough. No more. For the sake of generations to come, for the sake of other people, for the sake of the world, enough is enough. And so the cities are destroyed. God warned Lot, just like he'd warned Noah about the flood. And again, here's the text. It says this, with the coming of dawn, the angels came and urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and those of his two daughters, and he led them safely out the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. And as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back. There's our theme. Don't stop anywhere in the plains. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But as we read earlier, Lot's wife looked back. I wonder why she looked back. You know, when the Bible says that she looked back, it wasn't that she had a casual glance as she's running away. But the phrase there when it says looked back means to consider, to regard, to pay attention to. This was not a casual glance, but this was a longing. She was looking back at what she was leaving. She was looking back at what was behind her. She was looking back at the life that they'd developed, even though they were in a wicked place, in a detestable place. She was longing for that life. You see, I think Lot's wife was hesitant to leave her whole life behind. And we get hesitant to leave things behind, don't we? Maybe she had a version of Stockholm Syndrome where you know this isn't the best place for you, but it's familiar and staying with the familiar, albeit difficult and albeit hard, is, seems easier and better than stepping out into a world that's unknown. They're packing everything up, they're getting ready to go, and she's leaving the familiar. You know, God will always call you out of your comfort zone always. He will cause you to leave the familiar for the unfamiliar. He will always take you to your scary place or to a scary place so that you have to trust him to an unfamiliar place. He's been doing it all your life. 
Maybe you've not been able to make sense of some of the turns and some of the changes in your life. I want to tell you this morning, God wants you to make sense of it because at times it's been God taking you out of your comfort zone, asking you to leave a familiar place for an unfamiliar place, asking you to leave a place of comfort to a place of trust and a place of faith. He's been doing it all your life. Also, it's hard to leave what you're still connected to. It's hard to leave what you're still connected to. Uh, We uh, flew on a plane uh, this last week. I've had a lot of... Is anybody there? (laughs) I've had a lot of flights on a plane this year. And even if you've flown on a plane a million times, what do they do when you get on the plane? I can't hear you. The safety drill. Doesn't matter how many times you've flown, doesn't matter how many times you've done, been on that plane, they do the safety drill. One time I'm on a plane and I've put my head, headphones on because I think, oh, I've, I've heard the safety drill a million times. And the flight attendant comes along and she pulls them out my ears. But how rude. I mean, how dare she touch my stuff? But there's something on the plane, the safety card as well. And I always have a moment after the flight attendants have um, finished where I get the safety card and I read the safety card. And on the safety card, on some of those safety cards, uh, there's these kind of pictures. I think one will come up on the screen. And I always look at the one where you've got to evacuate over water and slide down the inflatable ramps. Anybody else? And I always have a moment where I imagine myself because they tell you you've got to crush your arms and you've got to jump. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm going to have to get down slowly and, and all the rest of it. But then usually there's this picture that it says, don't take anything with you. Laptops, phones, bags. Don't take, just go. Don't look back, just go. And I have this moment of anxiety. <sighs> Could I leave my phone? Could I leave my laptop? Could I leave my stuff, my bag that's in the locker? Could I just, could I just go? I have this moment of anxiety because it's hard to leave what you're still connected to. And although Sodom was an evil place, a hard place, they were connected to Sodom. We know that when we read the story in Genesis because uh, even though they were from a different place and with different values, they become connected to the lifestyle of Sodom. So much so that when they leave, Lot's daughters carried the sins of the city with them. And God asks us today to leave behind the sins to leave behind the ideas, the spirit of this world, and run towards the safety and blessing of his wisdom, his truth, and his spirit. Don't look back. You know, this matters because looking back, holding on to the past always hinders progress for our future. Looking back means that sometimes we might not receive all the grace that God offers to us. That we might hold on to something and and not receive the full extent of God's grace and God's love and his mercy. 
When we look back sometimes, we can fail to experience the freedom that God has for us, the deliverance that God has promised and provided. Imagine that for a moment, grace, forgiveness, peace, joy, purpose, clarity, always being yours, always being there for you. But because you looked back, you failed to receive it. You know, the book of Hebrews talks about this and talking about heroes of faith in chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love that. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Our text in Luke where Jesus says, remember Lot's wife, comes from a passage, as I said, where Jesus is dealing with the end times, eschatology, which is a big word. It just means a study of the end times. And it talks about when the Son of Man appears, when Jesus returns. And Jesus says, if you're on the rooftop, don't go down to get anything out of the house. Don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. There's urgency. There's importance. There's rescue and freedom at stake in this warning. Jesus is saying, when God gets ready to take you forward, don't deem anything behind you to be so valuable that you miss the opportunity before you. Somehow, Lot's wife deemed stuff behind her more valuable than the future God was providing for us. There's times in life where we have to have the courage to go somewhere we've never gone before, to do something we've never done before, and to in that step not deem anything about yesterday so valuable that it messes up today. The scripture gives numerous more warnings about this. Jesus himself gives several warnings. Here's just one of them. He says this, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What he's saying is kingdom people have to constantly be pursuing what's ahead and moving forward and not looking back. The kingdom of God is forward-looking. It does not deny the past or sugarcoat the present, but it presents a vision of a joy-filled future. Our verse in Hebrews said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Don't look back. I want to draw this message to a close through three applications, three ideas really. And um, let me start. Here's the first. Don't look back. You are not your past and you are not your past mistakes. Is anybody glad about that? You are not your past. You are not your past mistakes. So often we can find our identity in our past, can't we? In the negative experience maybe of our lives. And we can say, this is who I am. We can identify our past sins and mistakes. And we think we'll never escape their clutches or their power. And we give them in that moment too much power. Because we're not our past. We are not our mistakes. 
Lot made the decision as the herdsmen are quarreling. They made this decision to separate from Abraham. And it was a bad decision. And we can look back and see some bad decisions we've made in our lives. And sometimes we think because of those bad decisions, we can never experience a fruitful future. And after this event at Sodom, his daughters make a bad decision. They trick their father and they both sleep with their father and they both become pregnant. Far from, from those pregnancies, sorry, come the nations of Ammon and Moab who become some of the major enemies of God's people. We see it over and over again. Bad decisions creating a difficult future. But even though Lot and they made bad decisions, destructive decisions, even though bad things happened to them, God had a better purpose for them. God had a future that he was providing for them. Isn't that good news? This is the gospel. The good news that Jesus dies for our sins. He dies for our past mistakes and he leaves it all on the cross. We can't get free. We can't find the life that is truly life in our own strength. We don't know how to live in a way that brings real freedom, real hope and real joy. We haven't got the strength or the knowledge or the wisdom to do that. And so Jesus does it for us. What an incredible Christmas verse this is. Matthew 1, 21. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What we couldn't do for ourselves, God did when he sent Jesus to the cross for us. Jesus saves us. Jesus deals with our failures. Jesus deals with our mistakes. I can't get rid of my mistakes. I can't deal with my failures. I can't, I can't do anything about my bad decisions. But Jesus did something. He took them to the cross and he nailed them there. Jesus also takes care of my disobedience. He forgives. He rescues he cancels out our sin. Another Christmas, great Christmas. We, we sang a version of it, I think, this morning. Great Christmas phrase is this, cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. And he does exactly that. He gives us new life and he gives us a new identity. We become a new creation we can't do anything about that stuff as it pertains to God. We can't, we can't change it. So Jesus does it for us. And we receive his love, his grace. This is, this is the gospel. Here's just a little picture of the cross just to remind us that Jesus was willing to go all the way to the cross because of that stuff. And to take onto the cross your shame, my shame, your guilt, my shame, uh, your guilt, my guilt, your past mistakes, my past mistakes, the sins of the whole world. He's willing, he was so loving and willing that he was willing to take it all so that we could receive mercy and we could receive forgiveness. Not only that, that's not the only thing he takes to the cross. He actually takes everything that's against us. 
He takes everything to the cross that's against us. The Bible teaches us that he took the law. You know that, that sense of there's right and there's wrong and, and therefore I'm not good enough because I can never meet God's standard. I can never come up to God's re- requirements. No, you can't. We can never be good enough. So Jesus was good enough for us. And he offers us his goodness. He takes that. It's wonderful. Not only does he take the law that says that you're not good enough, he takes the powers that seek to control us and he he crushes them at the cross. He crushes the powers and authorities that are against us at the cross. Spiritual powers, demonic powers, institutional, governmental powers, kings and kingdoms that stand against us, religious power that bring us in bondage, our sins and the power of our sins, he takes it all to the cross and he leaves them there in an act of sacrifice and his sacrifice sets us free. Don't look back, look to the cross. Don't get your worth from your past. Your worth is in Jesus. Don't look back. Come on, tell somebody who's sat near you today. Don't look back. Number two. Don't look back. We are not pillars of salt. We are the presence of salt. You know, salt seasons... I wanted to do this live. Maybe I'll do it live one day. But in lockdown, I learned to cook the perfect ribeye steak. Sorry for any vegans. You're still welcome in Icon Church. <laughs> ribeye steak is my preferred. Ribeye is my preferred cut of steak. And uh, you know, just in case the red meat is triggering you, I'll try and keep this brief. And um, but. Um, I learned to cook the perfect ribeye. Would you like me to tell you how? I wanted to do a demonstration and then let you all taste a little bit. Because you're going to water at this. So you take the steak out the fridge at least one hour before you're going to cook it. So that it comes up to room temperature. And you season it. And then after about an hour you create a hot pan, medium to hot heat pan, tiny bit of oil, just a tiny bit of oil. You season the steak again, salt and pepper both times, salt and pepper, as much pepper as you want in terms of what kind of crust you want. And then you put the steak with tongs, I've got a pair of tongs, you put the steak in the pan and you leave it alone for three minutes. Now Jamie Olive will tell you, turn it after every minute, don't do that, it's not as good. All right. What does he know? He's from Essex or wherever. (laughs) You put it in the plant and you leave it three minutes. How long? Don't touch it. Leave it alone. Three minutes. Don't touch it. You'll be tempted. You want to have a look. Leave it. Leave it alone. Then after three minutes, turn it. Leave it. Leave it alone. For Rich Hale, leave it. Three minutes. Three minutes, don't touch it. Don't be tempted to look. Don't be tempted to lean in. Leave it alone. What you got to do? Then you take it out and you put it and you let it rest. Minimum four minutes. Ideally five minutes. You'll be tempted. You'll think it's going cold. Stop being such a wimp. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) Leave it four minutes. 
if you can wait long enough, five minutes, and then you'll take a cut. You'll slice it. You'll have perfect medium rare if your pan was medium rare, and you'll take a bite, and it will melt in your mouth. <laughs> oh. Why do you leave it alone? You let the seasoning do its work. You let the seasoning do its work. Listen to these verses from Jesus, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, Jamie, the salt's disappearing. Stop flipping. Leave it. (laughs) If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a stand, a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be open Uh, Open up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. That last phrase is why we did the big Christmas show. Our generosity, our gifts, our talents, our money that, that went into making that show available was our generosity to people. It was us opening up to others that they in turn might open up to our Father in heaven. Salt seasons, but it doesn't just season, it preserves. And if we look back and if we hold on, we become unsalty salt. And we're here to salt, to season our world and to preserve our world. And I think we're in a moment where the church needs to shine and be salty like never before, don't you? I do, because I think there's so much confusion in our world. But we can shine because of our clarity. There's so much hurry in our world and we can shine because of our rest. There's so much anxiety. We can shine because of our peace, the peace we find in Jesus, the trust we have in him. There's so much fear in our world at this moment, but we can shine because of our hope in Jesus and the good news of the gospel. There's so much isolation in our world. It's getting, it's so rampant. It's so, when we can shine because of our community. You made a great choice to be in church today. We can shine. It's something that shines our community. Somebody said to me Friday night after one of the shows, I recognize, I recognize the person. I wasn't sure. And they said, you just have, you have some incredible people in this church. That community shines. They weren't just thinking about gifts and talents, and, but they were thinking about kids who, who tell us that Mary rode on a dragon <laughs> to get to the stable. That was like, that was like my second most favorite bit of the show. Do you want to know my favorite bit? It was the choir. Oh, I loved that. It was so awesome. I loved it all, by the way, but yeah. 
We shine in isolation with our community. We shine in a season of failed leadership. And it's failing everywhere. We shine because of humble leadership and because our ultimate leader is Jesus. And we follow him. In a season of identity politics where everyone separates and everybody becomes against each other because they think and talk differently, we shine because we're faithful to one another. And we love one another. Don't look back. You're not a pillar of salt. You are salt savoring, salt preserving. People sometimes say to me, well, would it make any difference if the church didn't exist? I tell you, it would. You wouldn't notice in six months if the church didn't exist. You won't maybe notice in a year, but I want to tell you in five years, all hell would be let loose. I mean, literally, all hell would be let loose. Don't look back. You are salt. And then finally, don't look back. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I hope this message has been all about Jesus. It's not really been about Christmas, but we're entering this season. But fix your eyes on Jesus. In this verse we read in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He doesn't just give us faith, create our faith. He perfects it. And in the verses we read, he said you have to lose your life to win it. Lose it to win it. I want to tell you something. I'm not in it to win it. I'm in it to lose it. Because if you lose your life, you win it. Look what he says again. Remember Lot's wife. And then he said, whoever tries to keep their life. I think he's telling us that she was longing for that life she had. She was trying to keep it. She was trying to hold on to it. But whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. Jesus is telling us to be losers, not winners. I know all the time you've been saying, Lord, make me a winner. I know some of you tinkers, you do the lottery every week and you're saying, Lord, make me a winner. Just give me the number. I'm joking. I'm kidding. All right. (laughs) But God's saying, I don't want to make you a winner. I want to make you a loser. Because if you're a loser, you'll always be a winner. If you lose your life, surrender it, you'll find it. But if you just find your life, according to your definition of life, you will lose it. He says winning is losing and losing is winning. So for every person in the room who's ever felt like a loser, for every person in the room who's felt I don't have what it takes to deal with what I've got to go through, the situation that I'm in, for every parent who ever looked at a situation with their kids and their child and they said, I'm a loser. I'm a loser as a mother. I'm a loser as a father. And I'm a loser as a wife. I'm a loser as a husband. I'm a loser as a son. I'm a loser as a daughter. For anyone who's ever said that, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all the losers because you're winners. Because you're winners. Loser is a term of ridicule, isn't it? You know, if you... I guess a few years ago, I don't know if they still do it, but it was like, loser. And nobody wanted that. If somebody did that to you, you know, you're like, oh, you know. But I want to tell you, that's a badge of honor. Because in this instance, being a loser means being surrendered to Jesus. And I want to show you the greatest loser ever. That was Jesus. Jesus. 
the greatest loser ever, who also was the greatest winner. This is the verse, Luke 22, 42. I know the band are going to come back now. He says this, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I'm willing to lose my life. I'm willing to trust you in this moment. I'm willing to trust you in this season. I don't know all the answers. I've not got it all together. It feels like everything's conspiring against me, and I'd love it to be different, but not my will, but your will be done. Whoever seeks to lose his life, Jesus says, shall find it. And so he delivers this admonition, this warning, this crystallized moment where he takes us back in time in the middle of a dissertation about what he's going to do in the end and he says to us remember Lot's wife she tried to hold on and lost everything and he encourages us to surrender and win so as we close this morning and we're going to worship in a second I wonder are you still trying to win why don't we all stand together because we're going to pray together. Are you still trying to win? Are you still trying to find your life? I believe God says today, surrender. Surrender. Stop the struggle. Trust and rest in Jesus. Rest in his wisdom. Rest in his purpose for your life. I wonder today, are you still holding on? Are you still looking back, holding on? Maybe it's to your mistakes, your bad decisions, your sins. Are you still holding on to something that God has got grace for, God has got mercy for? Jesus says, don't look back. Don't hold on. Let it go. And maybe you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never become a follower of Jesus. This is a moment for you to surrender your life and to follow him. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment if that's you. And as we worship, I want you to consider because when we come back after worshiping, I'm going to say, if that's you, I want to pray specifically for you. And then I also want to pray for people who are here this morning. You think, you know what? That's me. I'm holding on. I'm looking back. I'm struggling to accept all that God has and wants to do for me in this moment. So church, let's worship together and then we're gonna pray. And I believe God's gonna do some significant things in our lives this morning. Thank you so much, thank you.